0: to read from Colossians, the end of chapter 1. As I've been doing, even though we're focusing on verses 24 to 29, I'm going to read just a few verses before that to remind you of the context of this latter passage. So beginning to read with verse 21 of Colossians 1, hear now the word of the Lord. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Indeed, you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship which God, uh, which, uh, from God, which was given to me from you, for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect to Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. May the Lord bless this good reading to us and to our hearts. The title of the sermon this morning is Paul's A Service and Ours, and um, I thought of adding the qualifier to the word service, uh, Paul's otherworldly service, and ours, with the idea being that we all need a higher purpose in life. We get bored with simply being focused on ourselves and our very narrow horizons. And uh, as we look at the Apostle Paul in this passage, we see that his life was the very antithesis, the very opposite of this Paul was not just focused upon himself, he couldn't be he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and even as he was in jail, uh, in prison in this case he was writing to people that were part of his body, part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ so he had a great ulterior concern a great ulterior motive. He had a great what we might call uh, avocation. And each of us, in our lives, we need to have this kind of an avocation. Sometimes the distinction is made between our vocation—I mean our occupations—and our vocations. It's not a—it's not a firmly constructed antithesis, though, uh, because uh, our, our 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 often our occupations are often we, we feel like even in the business world or even right. in terms of our gifts that we have a vocation that is broader than any occupation that we busy ourselves with from day to day and oftentimes uh, the broader vocation in our lives will will uh, help us between jobs if we, if we, switch, if we switch jobs because the, voc- the occupation tends to be narrower. We might work for one company, we might work for, uh, to solve one bit of issues or to accomplish one particular work, but then that changes, the circumstances changes, and we find another occupation, but usually that occupation is within our larger gift orbit, our larger vocational concerns. But what the Bible entertains us with is this idea that we have something above that. That whatever we're occupied with or whatever our vocations are, we have another vocation, another uh, avocation that goes beyond that and above that. And so we can see this so clearly uh, with the Apostle Paul this morning. He is occupied with far more than his present circumstances. His present circumstances are jail. He's a prisoner. He's not free to go wherever he would. But he's not obsessing obsessing over himself or his concerns here. It's as if he has the fullest life possible because he's concerned for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing a letter to one of those churches, the Church of Colossae. He couldn't be more full of ambition and purpose than he is, even though his own immediate circumstances are more limited. Like I said, we all need this kind of thing in our lives. We will be far happier, we will be far more enthusiastic in our lives if we're sensible sensible to uh, this other calling. And so uh, Paul would uh, talk to us today about his service and ours. His service is an otherworldly service. It's a transcendental service. It's a service which is very enthusiastically uh, gripping of his life. And and so can we. And we all all need this in a very concrete way. Think of your job, whatever it is. Think of some of the struggles of your daily walk. Uh, Is this the be-all and the end-all of your life? If it is, then you're going to be pretty discouraged. You're going to definitely have times of boredom. But if it's not, if you have something else going on, then you have the possibility of being entertained and enthused by this other calling that you have above and beyond the mundane things of your your common life. And this makes you a great witness then to other people because... They're dealing with the same thing. But if you are an evangelist for uh, this larger perspective, this broader perspective, this this deeper perspective, then you have it within yourself to speak to other people and challenge them to partake of this other vocation, building the kingdom of God, serving the Lord. And so Paul talks here about his service, and as as I say in the title, it's very easy to see how uh, our service can be like this. Now, the first thing that he touches on in this regard is the fact that his his suffering, or his ministry, mitigates his suffering. We see that in verse 23, where uh, he says that he's preached every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Then verse 24, I now, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. So even though he's involved in sufferings, even though he doesn't, he has his, he's had his freedom taken away, that's not, the, that's not the end of it for him. He's got something else going on to occupy his mind, his heart, his prayers, and these kinds of things. Namely, that he's been called as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now while uh, the apostles and the prophets were called in a specific and very glorious way, uh, each one of us also participates in this calling, and it, it is glorious by degree. We can be the most common person in the nation. And yet, if we are involved with this grand mission of building the kingdom of God, we have a glory that surpasses that of the kings and the princes of our day. Although for those people who merely labor for flesh and blood and for the things that this world has to offer, so we think about it and we see, uh, we, we see that that does um, that that does uh, catch us up. It's a uh, a grand, uh, a grand distraction, which Paul speaks of here. He, he doesn't really speak of his sufferings. He doesn't give us a list of those. He doesn't tell us about what the things are depressing him every day, like you and I might do. We might write to our brothers and sisters, well, this is going wrong, that's going wrong. But despite all of those things, uh, I'm still enthusiastic for the kingdom of God. Paul doesn't even mention those things really, except in the broadest way. I now rejoice in my sufferings. His sufferings are not bringing him down, this Roman jail, these people that uh, have superiority over them, even though they are far inferior to him. He's one of the most learned men in the ancient world. He's able to think thoughts that most of these men haven't ever thought before. And Paul is able to think them, even as they persecute persecute him, even as he has uh, over. Bearing people that press upon him uh, in based upon the depravity of their own nature. Uh, the apostle is not letting them get to him. His mind is lifted up. It is uh, resurrected, if you will, to a higher plane because of his avocation, because of the fact that he's called to minister uh, the gospel to the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the... That's the current um, calling of his activities, writing a letter to the Colossians. And so as he writes this letter, he's thinking about them. He's not thinking about his uh, incarceration. What he thinks of it, he rejoices. He says that, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And he says, and fill up my flesh, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, which is the church at Colossae. So even as Paul is suffering here, he sees it as a kind of glory because he sees it he sees it woven into the the larger story of his life. He can't be he can't be persecuted by discouragement, by short sightedness or nearsightedness, because his eyes see the larger picture. It's really amazing the the vocabulary and the conceptual uh, references that he makes as he compares his sufferings with the afflictions of Christ he fills up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ well who can who can we say that the afflictions of Christ were lacking anyway wasn't he persecuted to the nth degree as he bore the penalty for the sins of mankind well you see the Apostle Paul has this insight that inasmuch as he is part of the Church of Christ, and inasmuch as the Church of Christ is connected spiritually to the ascended Christ on high, and inasmuch as the local church, and inasmuch as the, the earthly church is being persecuted, then Christ's afflictions have this continuity to them with the sufferings that he suffered on the cross. And that's kind of an astounding idea to see yourself so united with Christ that you see the ongoing, your ongoing sufferings being his sufferings. But Paul says that, that uh, he rejoices in, in these things because he said he's filling up in his flesh what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. It wasn't that the sufferings of Christ then lacked in any Um, redemptive way because we know that our redemption is full in what he did in his sufferings but in as much as the sufferings of christ go on in god's eternal decree uh, they must not have been filled up in the sense of their extent in terms of their essence or their power they were filled up with what he suffered on the cross but in terms of the ongoing life of the world, the, life is not full, the world is not fully redeemed yet. And so in as much as his church is here and his church is still suffering. So I don't know what the sufferings are of your life. Everybody here has, i could, if I looked at you and, and analyzed your life, I could see that there are sufferings there that you're having. Have you thought of your sufferings as being connected with Christ? Or have you had the short-sightedness, the, the near-sightedness? Just to think that there was a disconnect there. Not in Paul's mind. He sees this wonderful unity. And uh, his ministry uh, mitigates, mitigated for him, limited, diminished uh, his sufferings and his afflictions. <clears throat> now the second thing here is that uh, Paul sees this, this difference between Um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the plans of God and the Old Testament, the plans of God and the New Testament. And since the planting of the church at Colossae was part of his New Testament plans, Paul sees a a special excitement in this. So first of all, uh, he speaks in verse 26 of the the pre-incarnate mystery that was hidden. We see this uh, where he says... um, The mystery, well, let me read verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which was hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Who are the saints now? They are the Colossians. what what was hidden before the idea that the gospel was going to go far much farther than israel the gospel was concerned not just about the redemption of israel of old testament israel of one nation of one people of abraham's clan the gospel was concerned about the salvation of the whole world and so the mystery was that even in the old testament they didn't have this perspective about the whole world that they could have, they should have, some did, but by and large, it was much more narrower, and it was just, it wasn't seen as a possibility. They, they, they saw themselves as the people of God, Israel, the people of Abraham, children of Abraham. They saw themselves that way, but it was really difficult to look much further than that, inasmuch as much as that was not their reality. Is it not hard for us to look beyond ourselves? Is it not hard for us to look beyond our limited numbers and see the grand purpose of the gospel And as much as it will affect the kingdom, that there's a kingdom here that's spreading and that will even affect the nations, that many nations will be enlisted in the, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so even when Paul was persecuting the church, this mystery was ever-present and was active. Paul didn't see it, especially as he persecuted the church. But God saw it, and God was smiling, God was happy, because he saw very quickly that this one who opposed him, that this one who thought that speaking of Christ was a blasphemy, that this one would soon be converted on the road to Damascus, and he would soon be an apostle of his, and so in the midst of Saul's hatreds and his threats and his angry looks at the Church of Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father rejoiced because the mystery that was hidden to Paul was about to be opened up. And now Paul is writing. And this is a post-incarnate New Testament outlook. Uh, now, in verse the end of verse twenty-six, Paul is writing to the Colossians. Um, because now the mystery has been revealed. Uh, a church has been planted in Colossae, as with the other churches that have been planted by the Pauline missionary journeys. And these things were working their way out. In verse 26, he says at the end, um, the mystery which has been hidden from, the, from, from, the, from, uh, uh, from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. I want you to think about how you would have felt as one of the Colossians in the church in that day to see how your meeting together, just like our meeting together here in Southwest Ohio, is part and parcel of a greater plan, a bigger plan, that cannot be stopped, that's marching, that's working like yeast through a loaf. What, what, what help does any part of the loaf have that it will somehow resist the yeast? No, the yeast will work incessantly. Uh, in a hidden way, uh, without an ability to be stopped. It will possess the whole loaf. The loaf will rise. It will smell good. We will have the sweet aroma of Christ that will be wafting out amongst as, as baking bread. And it will be working that way because the time has come for the mystery of the Old Testament to be revealed in these New Testament times. And so I would, I would guess that the people of Colossae must have been kind of enthused about this, no matter what shape they were in, because they were not Old Testament Israel, by and large, but they were a new uh, church plant of this larger kingdom of God. And they could see where the mystery was now being made apparent, that Christ, uh, as he came into the world, the only begotten Son, had a far greater purpose than simply to save Israel from their sin. And so um, Paul speaks of this in this letter uh, to the Colossians. Um, uh, to, make, to them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that the Colossians could definitely see how they were involved in this eternal plan of God. They could see how time was evolving, how there was an Old Testament time where the mystery was kind of hidden. But now they were living in a New Testament time. And even though the Roman legions were marching back and forth, even though most of the nations of the world outside of Israel uh, had no real concern about, God or His kingdom or His Son, yet the Apostle Paul uh, told them, and they could see how these things were were changing. These things were working, and uh, and the the, uh, the kingdom of God was was marching on. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, this was manifest by Christ, which who was in them, so that this Christ who was crucified in Jerusalem. Now, in verse 27, this Christ is working in them. So that life is far more than what you can see and feel and touch. Life is far more than the imperial Rome. It's far more than the Roman legions. It's far more than Roman law, Roman rule. It's far more than the things that you see that people can do to one another. It has to do with this spiritual kingdom which, uh, which God is uh, working in. And so I asked the church here this morning, you know, um, uh, do, you, do you see yourself in this most uh, special place? Do you see the greatness of the task in which you're involved? John and Audrey. Audrey's not here, but John and and uh, Louie and, and uh, Charlie and Caden. Uh, <clears throat> do we see how we're involved in something which is so much bigger than ourselves? Kaya. Uh, do we see how what we're working with is so much bigger than ourselves so that even though we might be persecuted or afflicted, that we've got something going on in our lives, which is really exciting. I know during the Revolutionary War that formed our country, there were a number of of spies that were working for the colonial cause. And uh, they might be captured behind enemy lines. and They might be treated like uh, some... Some uh, uh, common criminal, like some soldier that was caught, but even as they were doing, even as they were being treated in this way, they knew that they were working for a higher cause. They had a much bigger picture in mind than their interrogators had, and uh, and uh, most of them were reluctant to speak of it because they believed in that higher cause, and so they pressed on. Um, now. The Apostle Paul says here in the last verse, uh, he says that, that this Christ that is working, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So this focuses now on the individual and their future, their future vocation in Christ. And it points to the fact that That even as we're working for the kingdom of God, and the Colossians ought to see themselves in this way, we're also working because there's something directly in it for us. That we would be presented perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. Presented who? Presented where? Well, before the face of the Father. This is the great ulterior cause of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our own individual salvation our own salvations individually conceived work out collectively to be a very glorious thing as we are represented in the kingdom of God and as the nations of the Lord but we can't lose sight of the fact that there's something in it for us individually too and that it's the sum of this individual bounty that then rubs off and becomes part of the collective community each one of us will be able to be presented before the Father, perfected in Jesus Christ. It's simply amazing to think of that day, to think of being presented to, to the Father. We might think it most wonderful if we were presented in some way to one of the political rulers of this world or to one of the great um, Uh, spiritual leaders of the world, to some preacher that we admired or to some person who was famous in the church, we might think that that was special, uh, to be entertained by a president or a king. That would be special, but we cannot compare that to being presented to the Father and not in our tattered clothing, in our feeble uh, fashion that has patches upon it and tears and that kind of thing. No, presented perfectly before the Father. How wonderful. Can we imagine anything better than that? To be presented to the Father without having to worry about this or that sin in our lives, this or that embarrassment, but presented unto the Father perfectly in the perfections of our Lord Jesus Christ. I really can't imagine that. It's wonder and beauty. But that's what Paul says will be our lot. And he says, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. You can just see how, even though he was in prison, he was bursting with enthusiasm over this. Bursting with enthusiasm. he had such a grand vocation or avocation working in his life from which he could not escape, which possessed him and enthused him every day of his life. Is that where we are? Or are we living in the here and the now without this transcendental reality, without this calling? Where are you? What kind of a life do you have? What kind of a mind do you have? Is your mind set above with? Jesus Christ and the things of Christ. Do you have this kind of a missionary mindset that Paul had? Or are you suffering from your sufferings? Are your sufferings overwhelming you? So that you can hardly think of anything else. Praise be to God when we have this enthusiastic idea in mind, this this compulsion of kingdom that pulls us in. This weekend... It has been very sad in many ways, if you have listened at all to the stories that have come out of the attack on the Twin Towers of New York City, the so-called events of 9-11, that's the the date, it was September 11th when this happened, uh, just uh, yesterday, and if you've been watching any of these things, it's hard not to be caught up in them. Because you see, uh, it's 20 years later now, you see the children, who are now uh, at least 20, or 25, 30, who were 10 years old, or 5 years old, or 2 years old at the time, who got a, uh, a mother or a father taken away from them. you have seen some of the, you've, you've been uh, reprised or reminded of some of the awful events of of people, the, the, the heat of the explosion so being so terrible that some, even women, were leaping from the windows 90 floors up in that building because they they could see that they could not survive the conflagration and they thought that they might have less pain by simply casting themselves off of this burning building. So we've seen all kinds of terrible things and it's, it's reduced our minds. It's, in a sense, it's hard to think about these things. And I doubt that any of us have have really sought to immerse ourselves in the sadness of those events. Well, one of the things that I saw that was redemptive of this or rose above this was uh, an interview by a, 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 a man who's a state senator now in Texas. And he's a retired colonel. His name is Brian... Birdwell, Colonel Birdwell. And um, he told the story. He, he, he appeared on the interview. He looked fairly normal. But then they, they proceeded to explain how he had been burned almost beyond recognition. He was in the Pentagon when the plane crashed into the Pentagon. His office was right where the plane came in, to the Pentagon. He had gotten up. He had to go to the bathroom. God's providence you know, you think, I've got to go to the bathroom. Well, in this case, it was a, it was a, a heaven-sent errand that he went on because he got up and left his desk and went uh, some 40, 50 feet from his desk, went to the bathroom, went to the bathroom. As he, was, as he finished, and he was coming out about 10 minutes later, the plane struck the, uh, the building and came in, missed, missed him by about 20 feet. But there was an enormous explosion then, Flames were everywhere, and, uh, and uh, Birdwell was knocked almost unconscious on the ground. Uh, but slowly but surely, um, uh, he became aware of himself. He began to be worried about his death. Well, as he was speaking about this on the television, he spoke about it as a man who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even as he was speaking about the terror of thinking that he was dying, he was giving testimony to the goodness of God in the midst of that. And you knew that there was a whole story there that you did not know, but he was telling that from the perspective of uh, having survived it and, um, and uh, having survived it in the power and the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I couldn't get over how, as he as he explained himself, I couldn't get over how he uh, how how normal he looked uh, for having been burned like he was burned. Um, <clears throat> one article that I read about this um, talked about how just re- just last week he was united with a man named uh, Rob Mannes who's a candidate for the open U.S. Senate seat in Louisiana uh, because their lives were thrust together by this great event when the plane crashed into the Pentagon uh, on 9-11. The article says it's been nearly 15 years since their their lives were thrust together for a few chaotic moments outside the Pentagon. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Birdwell, now a Texas State Senator, never got to thank the man who held his leaky IV line and tried to help him, uh, tried to keep him conscious as he lay on a gurney. Parts of his body and half his face burned beyond recognition. Uh, Colonel Rob Mannness never knew if the severely wounded man he'd helped had survived. That is, until last week, when their paths crossed again. In 2001, Birdwell worked for the Army, and on the morning of September 11th, was in an office with two colleagues watching the live footage of the Twin Towers burning. At 9.35, he stepped out to go to the bathroom, telling his co-workers he'd be right back. It was the last time he ever spoke to them. Less than 10 minutes later, as Birdwell left the bathroom, American Airlines Flight 77 barreled into the side of the building, the nose of the aircraft less than 20 yards from where Birdwell stood. He was engulfed in flames. Part of his polyester army pants melted to his skin. His arms were skinned and he collapsed with blood and soot black soot caked to his charred body. He lay there in the burning hall thinking of his wife and his teenage son and their goodbyes that morning. He tried to accept that he was dying yet minutes later he was being carried out of the building and a medic on sight quickly hooked him up to an IV. I think it's amazing that there were, we wouldn't think of this, but in the Pentagon, there are all these military people. Uh, there were medics uh, that, that were there that knew where they could find emergency medical supplies. So this one medic hooked him up to an IV. That's around when Mannness, who worked for the Air Force, showed up and was instructed to hold Birdwell's IV line, which was leaking, and tried to keep the fading man awake man must ask his first name. They prayed together. I don't know anything about his faith or lack thereof before but uh, in this instance uh, a man of prayer uh, was helping him and and he he must have been a, a man of prayer too. They prayed together. Why would God allow such things to happen to a believer if he was a believer? If not then how wonderful was the Lord to induce him to Christ in this way. Madness told him he'd be okay, although it was a promise that he didn't know for years that he'd actually kept. I hadn't forgotten about this guy, that guy Madness said in an interview. I never knew if he lived or not, but I prayed for him every day. Birdwell was eventually taken to the hospital where he'd spent where he'd spent 26 days in intensive care. More than 60% of his body was severely burned. And he'd have 39 operations during his excruciating recovery. Nothing more painful than burns and trying to recover from burns. The Washington Post in December 2001, the Washington Post profiled Birdwell, who was one of the seven burn victims from the Pentagon who were retreated at the Washington Hospital Center. Madness spent the rest of September 11th surrounded by the blood and carnage helping the wounded to get to the triage area or to a spot where they could be transported to a hospital. You remember seeing a cab driver run into the building to try to pull people out. People from all backgrounds showed up to help, he said. He was just one of them. Both men are in politics now. Birdwell, a state senator in Texas, and Man Ness, a candidate for the open U.S. Senate seat in Louisiana. They were both in Cleveland last week for the Republican National Convention. <clears throat> this is... Um, I don't know when, the, when this was written. Um, uh, but uh, Man Ness requested a meeting with former Texas Governor Rick Perry to ask advice for running in a statewide election. Perry wanted to introduce him to another veteran-turned-public official who had also been through 9-11. He and his aides tracked down Birdwell. Within minutes of training stories from that terrible day, the men realized who the other... They were describing the same location, the same injuries, the same broken IV line, and Madness, who days after the attack wrote an after-action report about what he observed, had mentioned it, that he'd helped an Army officer named Brian, who was badly burned, in shock and in need of a working IV. We figured it out in a couple minutes of talking to each other. Madness said, I started crying. It was a very positive emotional release for me. Well, I think the, the wonderful thing about this for me is in the midst of all the secularism of our day and in the midst of hearing politics being talked about from a purely spec- secular perspective where God is walled out, here was a man speaking on the television about his obvious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, mentioning the goodness of God, thanking God for all that had happened. And it just reminded me of this, of this, of the Pauline outlook this morning. Paul was in prison, and yet his mind was in other places. It was full up, entertained by the gospel and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to live, brothers and sisters, and uh, we have examples of that even in our own in our own day, as we have. We're here with Senator uh, Brian Birdwell and uh, Rob Mannes. And I thought how ironic we're suffering today with this terrible secularism. So few people seem to have any perspective of the Lord. And yet here we're involved in a couple of, well, one election, one man who's already serving, who come at it from a perspective of the kingdom of God. And uh, God is using suffering just as he used the apostle Paul's life. God is using suffering to maybe bring redemption to his people and to uh, the, the nation of America. We need this perspective so badly. We need men who uh, cannot be chased off their spot by aggression or by bellicose people who uh, hate the Lord. We need people who are anchored in the surety of the living God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that that uh, that. Paul's service and ours might have a parallel. That just as his, his, just as he could not be distracted from the great cause of his life, we pray that we would not, uh, that we would have such a focus as that in our lives. And we pray that we might have such an excitement in our lives, that we might have such a a redemptive, uplifting spirit in our lives. Oh Lord, help us not to be chased down or submerged in the discouragements of this world but help us to be lifted up as Christ was into the heavens by thy grace. In Jesus' name we pray.